you are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. If the Pioneer metagame is feeling stale, these brews will help you go 3-2 in style. Today we are brewing with Urtai Resurrected, Kalia Zenith Seeker, and Vesuvan Duplomancy. Plus, on the flashback, testing results with the Elder Dragon War. That's all coming up on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, coming to you live from the Twin Cities, and I am joined by my man south of the border. He is Mordekaiser. What is going on, my friend? Hey, doing great. Just coming back home, being surrounded by kittens, and getting ready to make sure I don't get it. I never get more kittens in my lifetime. How many do you have right now? So there's six cats at my home. Which is... So yeah, that's probably enough. That's a lot more than I ever need to see again. It's like the old, like, kids, cats, men, wives, how many, whatever, went to St. Ives. Do you know that? <laughs> or is that not an Argentinian? That's not an Argentinian thing. Okay. You know, kittens, you have to hold them for the perfect amount. Because you need to have them for two months before you can give them away. And for six weeks, you love them. And the last two are pure suffering. So it sort of works pretty well. Yeah, at least it's loaded in the right direction. And there we have... Special guest. Our most beautiful <laughs> brewer. Special guest. Special coming guest. all the way from the seas. No, the not, high and seas. I'm not on the sea anymore. From the seas. He has erupted from the seas. Now, now he's landlocked. No, he yeah. Rode back on a dolphin. <laughs> he came rolling on a dolphin, shirt off. The manliest yes. of them all, our favorite Canadian. In slow motion. In slow motion. Zach Ryle, he is Mana Symbol Online. Great to see you, Zach. How's life? Uh, really good. I got back to Canada two days ago, uh, spent most of today on a long bike ride, trading in magic cards, buying magic cards, getting ready for MTG Vegas. Uh, but in between all of that, I managed to do some playtesting, and uh, I'm so excited to talk about it, so excited to join in on these episodes uh, until I head out for my next cruise contract. Nice. So we are in the Dying Embers of the uh, Dominaria set, we are anxiously awaiting the Brothers' War. So we are going to take a look at some of the decks we talked about last week, which were built around the Elder Dragon War. And then we just have a few sort of stray ideas we want to explore. And then I believe next week, it is officially going to be Brothers' War full-on spoilers. Exactly. We're super close to just a new release. And also, we got the... I think it was today Mark Rosewater released the, you know, small tidbits of what's coming. Yeah, he does a kind of, uh, like, a non-spoiler It's it, with, like, cryptic clues about cards in the upcoming set. Yeah, do people like that? That's I just don't even pay attention. It's like, oh, what's the plus 20, plus 20? It's like, who gives a shit? It's not going to be playable. <laughs> no, I like what the ones that are a, a little bit more like... Like, a lot of people got on our Discord excited about one that said, a spell that mimics the effect of a creature that was originally printed with a picture of a world championship on it. Right, but... Of a world champion on it. 
I feel like there's so many layers there. It's like a spell that mimics an effect that was, and it's like I I feel like when we see the thing, it's it's it, I feel I just consistently get disappointed by these. I don't know why. A bitter old man. Yeah, I agree. But I tend to get super excited. Like right now, I'm just having a fun fic in my mind where I'm getting a two mana instant that gets me two mana, two one mana creatures like Ranger of Fios. And then you have like weird stuff like a defeating with a new way to gain loyalty counters. Yeah, yeah. But that, I mean, that could be like something fairly mundane. You know, it could be at the beginning of each turn add a loyalty counter. Be a, a great thing for multiplayer, but totally pointless in constructed in most cases. Permanents you control have ward sacrifice a permanent. Okay, but but come on. Protection from everything returns. I mean, that's not a spoiler. Just, you literally just told me there's a card that has protection from everything. Like, I don't... <laughs> no, no. If they don't tell you you have a card, maybe it's an instant that gives it... There's a lot that they can do with it. Sure, but I'm just saying there's a card that says protection from everything. I just... Yeah. One colored artifact. One, yeah, yeah. Oh, which definitely means nothing will be broken in this set. So, um... So someone said this wasn't a time travel set, and then I saw a chunk of spo uh, a story that said Teferi is time traveling, so... I said it doesn't necessarily mean it's a time travel set, and immediately they said it was a time travel set. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> they don't do Kamigawa anymore. They don't just say, like, meanwhile, 3,000 years ago. Like, they want it all to be... No, but I mean, s sometimes they go, like, outside of tempo. Like, Eldraine was pre-Battle Bond and released one year later. But Battle Bond is not a premier set. So I, I argue oh, okay. that they, for premier yeah, sets, yeah. they probably just keep them all in straight and narrow. Anyway, so um, large idea predictions, and I got to go to David first on this. Do you think there are going to be some broken-in-half artifacts in this set? Because I saw people talking about it, and they were like, no, it'll, it won't happen again. And then I was like, well, every time they've said that, and every time it's an artifact set... Uh, there have been some things. So it depends what you mean by broken. So like Kaladesh was, did not really, con it had cards that were banned in standard, of course. So in that sense, yes, right. There were broken artifacts, but there are no cards from Kaladesh banned in modern. Is that correct? I believe so, but there is a, at least one in Pioneer. The four mana energy uh, artifact, obviously very powerful in standard. Yeah. Aetherworks Marvel. But unplayable in Pioneer and hilariously unplayable in, in Modern. Right. And then uh, Smuggler's Copter. Yeah, fairly unjustifiably banned. Copter not playable at all in Modern. And, you know, I would argue not even actually good enough to be banned in Pioneer. So, you know, I think they've done a better job. I think what really messes them up is new classes of cards, right? Like Smuggler's Copter was the first vehicle. And those first round of vehicles are like insane, right? No. Heart of Kiran. Yeah, Heart of Kirin, the the five mana boat, which is now like seeing play in one of the better decks in Pioneer. So like those are all from the first set. They've never printed anything any close to that. So uh, I guess maybe Chariot is is uh, you know up there with those cards. So if there's a new class of card, so like when you're talking about a new way for Teferi to gain loyalty or something like that, that's when I think there's going to be a broken thing. I think they're aware as we are that it's a, like a super meme, right? That artifacts sets are broken and you know whatever so uh, i feel like they would take precautions to prevent that from happening but so you're not willing to call a shot i'm gonna call a shot that there's gonna be something busted in half in this set that they they don't realize so what is busted in a half though like if no card is banned in standard but this card randomly has to be banned in modern like i actually think that's fine design 
I wouldn't call it like a busted card. Yeah, I mean, and that's 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 fine. Like the Valky thing, that's the classic example. And I heard someone talking about it today where it's like, that is the perfect kind of design mistake where it's like, well, they didn't think you'd cascade into it and make a Simeon spirit guide four color monstrosity. Like that's a mistake that nobody really could reasonably have caught. Um, I'm going to go with like, there's going to be something that's going to be very, very powerful in modern pioneer and standard. So something something Oko-esque. That's that's I'm just putting it out there as a hot take. And then if I'm wrong, I get to run away and be like, well, whatever. Oko-esque. Yeah, Oko-esque. Something that something okay, gets cross format hit. OK, well, I mean, Hasbro uh, losing money. Tough quarter as magic <laughs> shrunk. So they need that. That encourages them to push the power curve. Now, is it sense enough in time? Right. Right. There, they will be this will be causing them to print better cards now is did that happen in time for this particular set i i can't answer that question so sets are done two years in the past so this set has been finished and ready to print since likely midway through 2020 mm. and before mh2 came out yeah and that happens consistently right so the cards that could be broken they don't really know so that's why sets sometimes just look like sort of place well, I'm pretty sure that's the that's the distance designed to print. Um, like when they actually start sitting down designing cards and mechanics. Uh, I think closer to that, they can still tweak them. But anyway, the most important thing really to segue to is our topics of the day. But before we get there, we probably have some housekeeping. Luckily, we have always had some key housekeeping during the past couple of weeks, which is always super, super encouraging. Hi, and thank you so much for our new patrons, Philip P., and Shaq H for increasing his pledge. Thank you so much for being part of the Faceless Gang, for keeping us going, and of course, showing your love. And you might wonder, why should you show our patron in the same way they did? Well, first of all, it's what really helps keep us going, allows you to support the show, and show how much you might actually enjoy what we do, or or how annoying we can be. Secondly, <laughs> it, gets you access, it gets you Discord access... Okay. <laughs> well, you get the you get to see the first takes from some of our unhinged members, and then the uh, and then some of the ones with more hinge. You can see how things go from extremely completely insane and slowly gets more and more sane over the minutes. Uh, it depends on who you talk to. Sometimes it starts sane and it needs to get more insane. He gets you Discord access, where you can find not only us and ask us anything you would want, but also a lot of people that are just gonna be constantly talking about brewing, what they enjoy. And really a wholesome community that just keeps growing and every single day just keep pushing itself up. Yeah, and it is a very, you know, I've always found it to be a very welcoming environment, even when you have really crazy stuff to brew with. There's always someone who's kind of with you and it's like, all right, I'll talk through this. What do you got? Yeah, yeah, you always can send up an idea and you know someone is at least either going to support you or at least show you publicly why you are wrong. If it's Kilgore Trout, you might want to run. If Kilgore Trout is trying to support your idea, you better close the book and just admit, <laughs> okay, this is going nowhere. I switch to some boats. This was written by Kurt Vonnegut, and it's going to be both very funny and sad. <laughs> so, what do we have in store for today, my beautiful brewers? Well, it's a lot of talk about Pioneer. Um, we had a card that we were discussing last week, uh, specifically the Elder Dragon War. So we tried that in two different builds, so we've got a flashback on that. And then we also have a flashback on some other cards that David was interested in brewing around, um, which I believe are Kalia Zenith Seeker. And uh, there was a Grixis midrange deck that had a Soul Kanar in it. And there's another deck. What is this last one, David? 
Um, this is sort of a meme deck, but it is built around uh, Vesuvian uh, Duplomancy and Goblin Dark Dwellers. Okay, so you can tune in for all of that if you stick around. Uh, that one's going to go right at the end to make sure people listen all the way through. <laughs> just so you can hear more about people actually hardcasting Orvar and not just discarding it to a specific trigger of a specific dragon. <laughs> uh, it's an Archon, thank you very much. Yeah, it's not a dragon. <laughs> the Archon's the guy riding the dragon. The dragon yeah. adds nothing. Wait, really? Yeah, it's just for style. It's just style points. It's like the Mantis Rider, right, as a human, but yeah, it's exactly. the Mantis that's it's probably like... <laughs> doing most of the damage to uh, whatever it's fighting. The classic conundrum of how, how many medals did horses win in any wars? Yeah. <laughs> wow. I was sure the Archons were the mounts. No. They always have a mount. <laughs> Why the hell do all Archons have a mount? Our, all Archons do not have mounts. I, I have a Nick... Th- or Nick... Nykthos, Spirit of Nykthos, Paragon of Nykthos, somewhere, something of Nykthos around here on the table, and I just looked at it last night, I think that's an Archon. And it's just a dude standing there. Anyway, I went into the Pioneer format. Um, All of the decks that you guys discussed were for the Pioneer format, as the power level of the Elder Dragon War seems to be more on uh, on that level. So it's a four mana uh, saga. It has the read head ability, so that means you can start on any chapter you want. The first chapter uh, deals two damage to every creature and each opponent. The second chapter says discard any number of cards, then you draw that many. And the third chapter allows you to put a 4-4 red dragon token with flying into play. So uh, the first deck that we're going to look at here is the Is It Looting Fires deck. This was designed, of course, by Mr. David, who did not get to talk about his design. So uh, what did you make here that I played uh, for a full 10 rounds? Yeah, so I had built a Fires deck with Riel added to the sort of like known package of Fires, um, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, Cavalier. That, that's a shell that people have explored. Uh, people have played like a mono red list where they're like blowing up their old indestructible land to play Fires a little faster. I really like the idea of Sensor as a bridge card. So it's, you know, basically trades card for card with any two or three drop on turn two or three. Riel is awesome. W- if she lives with Fable in play and Cavalier, of course. And then Riel's actually awesome with Sensor. And then Sensor is great with Fires because it basically functions as like a consider that doesn't take a spell slot. So I had played that shell to like a 3-2 and a 4-1, but I don't think, I think we talked about it maybe like in passing one week. Um, obviously, I have a very soft spot for Riel. And then I was thinking like, all right, Fable uh, is like a cool card. You always want to play that on three. Elder Dragon Wars seemed to me like, you know, like a lesser fable. It also is a sweeper effect. It is a discard effect with Riel. Uh, making the dragon is cool with the, if you like follow up the next turn with Cavalier, give everything haste. And the looting effect also like helps you, you know, like once you have your first fires in play, all the other fires are garbage, right? So you just want as many of these like looting type effects as, as you can find. So yeah, basically, you know, it's most of those cards with just some red removal. Uh, and then I always like one Celestis in all my fires decks. It's really good with fires. It's so good with fires. So yeah, that was the thought process. You know, I think the other question always is new mechanics, right? The Elder Dragon War has Read Ahead, and Read Ahead is a card that gives you tons of choices, and those cards tend to be a little more powerful than we think, even if the individual, like, if you just go through the card itself, it doesn't seem to be on, you know, raw power level maybe good enough. I, I like it a lot. It's one of those mechanics that's so 
fun and comfy to play with that whenever I play with a saga that doesn't have it, I'm like, wait, why? <laughs> I want to I wanna choose where I am in the story. I want to I wanna skip to the last chapter. I want to know the end. Which totally changes the kind of cards they can design, as uh, Emmy pointed out last week. But it is just like one of those really, really cool, slick little mechanics. And uh, I think they hit it pretty well on how they designed these cards with it. So kudos to them. Anywho, so uh, went into battle with this deck. Um, we've got Strangles, we've got Is It Charms, we've got Bone Crusher Giants as some early interaction. And then, as you mentioned, Sensor. So the first league I went into was a 2-3, but I would say there were some sweet close calls. So I played against uh, Avzan Greasefang. I played against Black White Zombies. I played against... Uh, there, Where is it? Because I played against the green-red deck a lot. Uh, so I played against another green-red deck, then a third green-red deck, and then finally... No, so it's three, three green-red decks, Black White Zombies, and Abzan Greasefang. So what I was finding with the green-red decks is they are built 100%, I think, to exploit two damage, two, point, two points of damage removal, and the fact that Strangle is sorcery speed. Uh, I was getting hit with all kinds of uh, haste creatures and creatures with four or five toughness. Um, so this was a really tough league for this deck in particular. However... It did some cool stuff. I have a bunch of screenshots here. Um, uh, Reflection of Kiki Jiki plus Cavalier of Flame is completely bonkers. Uh, just creating a second copy of that card is insane, and then both of them get the bonus when you activate them. And that played really well with the with the saga as it well was was designed. But I felt like after that league, I felt like some of it was my inexperience with the format, so I ran it back and I got a second two three. That was against uh, Mono Green Devotion, another Red Green Stompy deck, another Red Green Aggro deck, uh, a Rock deck, and oh no, another Red Green deck. So the Red Green deck was incredibly popular. I played it against it six out of ten times because on the weekend uh, it took multiple spots. There is a very low to the ground Red Green deck with the Tarkus Command. There is a medium Red Green deck, and then there's the Red Green deck with like four Sky Sovereigns. Uh, and all of those felt like they were caught like in different ways the low to the ground one just killed me quickly the bigger one was a better mid-range deck that middle of the road one the rock deck and uh black white zombies though this felt very very smooth very very powerful um being able to play uh fires of invention into elder dragon's war when you hit four was really good the one thing i would say about this deck is the real thing is very very powerful but it's also something that kind of everyone's ready for three toughness creatures so it really didn't feel like it worked at all and sensor was much much worse than i ever remember it being uh, i understand now why dan kind of has a uh, reluctance for it. I, I played a lot of blue-white control when this form when this format was young, and I would always play four sensors in that deck, and it was phenomenal at that point. But that was before uh, Mono Green Devotion existed, and I don't know if it was just the selection of this league that got me, but uh, it felt very, very underpowered. And the, uh, the, the ability to draw two cards off the cycle if you have a real in play just didn't seem worth it. So... This core of red cards, for the most part, the Strangles, Bone Crushers, Fables, Fires of Invention, Elder Dragon War, and 
Cavalier of Flame, that felt very powerful. So I wonder if you could swap a different color in or uh, maybe just play like a chonky red style deck with all those things because that was pretty, that was humming pretty hard. Yeah, like a chonky red just out of like, what's a good three drop? Like the full playset of Bone Crushers alongside. What are you playing the two drop slot in a chonky red? Um, I mean, there's Lava Coils, there's. Yeah. Things of that nature. Oh, uh, Roast was a card that David was talking to me about. It's a one and a red deal five damage to a creature without flying. That deals with Lovestruck Beast, which is super popular right now. Um, one of the things I was finding, and I was kind of vindicated today as I was biking, I was listening to Dominaria's Judgment, is uh, the mono green deck, when they don't start with an elf, you have no chance. Because that means they kept a three-land hand with a Wolf Willow Haven, and they're just going to, like, play that on two, and then play a four-drop on three, and then a five-drop on four, and then they're just going to crush you that way. Like, just slow and grindy in a way that I don't remember that deck ever doing. Like, or not, it was not a successful way for that deck to play. Um, but it seems to be now, uh, probably because of the proliferation of Rakdos. They're, they're playing a lot more cards that are not reliant on the elf sticking. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think fundamentally the the pull with fires is always to play uh, Urian. Um, you have a lot of coming to play effects, and obviously, like Urian is at its best with fires because it's so easy to play. Uh, basically, either fires or Omnath, right? You just you need that kind of mana surge to make the the companion whatever errata not matter as much. Yeah, I, there was uh, there's an eighty card uh, white deck with multiple splashes running around right now that I'm really interested in trying out, and I wonder if uh, a version with you know kind of white red mid range with fires boat brew it up and get our fifty percent in the mirror, and then probably run a whole bunch of two threes uh, is worth trying out. <laughs> yeah, I think in general, like people, I think even were aware in Eldraine, right? Like Cavalier plus fires is so good, mm-hmm. and it's just like the shell that you need to get to that point, and no one's really found it, right? People occasionally five zero. Like I said, I had a pretty good success with a previous version of this uh, build, but no one's consistently done it. We don't see fires decks at all in you know top eight or top sixteens of the challenges. I think it's just a little too clunky. Uh, it it fares really well in the mid range mirrors. I think it's very easy to go over the top of like black red, which is allegedly the best deck in the format. Um, and I just think it's always going to struggle right against some of the other like super fast decks. Yeah, there was a lot of awkwardness in this deck with um, playing Fable into Elder Dragon War. Um, in that your token dies to it. So if you attack with it, you'll get one treasure. And sometimes it kind of worked out where I had to attack with the token and then they'd block and then I would kill something that had three or four toughness by playing the Elder Dragon War. Um, But also Elder Dragon War kills your flipped fable, which is annoying. And then many matches, I needed Sweltering Sun and Anger of the Gods out of the sideboard, but that also kills your Riel as well as your fable tokens, as well as your Bone Crusher Giants. I mean, the leagues that I played were not a wide sample of the decks in Pioneer. And the fact that I ran uh, uh, two two threes back to back is like, I, I don't know if that would repeat. Um, but it did feel like there was definitely some other directions you could you could try these packages because there was something something was happening here. And it just felt like a lot of my cards were lining up badly. Yeah, and it might just be like Elder Dragon War is not seeing play at all, right? It's not even seeing play in standard. Yeah. So it might just be that even with all the variability and all the synergies, like just on raw power, that extra mana is a really big deal. Yeah. And it's just not quite doing enough at, at each point, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, even without the awkwardness, sometimes it was just kind of mediocre. And, and the read-ahead ability on this was... It means you're skipping what is supposed to be the most impactful uh, chapter. But this was not the only deck we tested in today's Pioneer format. Somebody else took out your Naya Broughtback deck. So wait, before we keep going, uh-huh. have you guys been enjoying Pioneer lately? Mm. Like the format itself? That's an interesting question, because I wanted to segue into that at some point, but the the Pioneer format that we're playing right now, I was looking at the challenges, and I was really disheartened by the statistics in the side. Um, One of the challenges I looked at, it was like eight Monogreen Devotion and six Rakdos Midrange in the top 32, so that's almost half of the decks being those two archetypes. However, if you actually looked at the top eight of that tournament, it was uh, only two Rakdos Midrange decks and zero Green Devotion. So I haven't played it enough. Uh, playing this deck was really fun because I was learning the deck I was playing. I played against six of the red-green variants, so that was goofy. I don't know that I enjoy Pioneer as a whole, but conceptually I do. I mean, I like a lot of things that I see that are happening. I have been having that same issue. Like, I played the other day I played three leagues and I played 12 games against Ragdos, which I know is clearly an outlier, like, clearly, that's a huge outlier, but still it was like, come on. Well, I, I think if you're someone like you who lives and breathes modern and you haven't played this game as long as as a lot of the other people on this podcast, for me, Pioneer sometimes, like, the leagues that I played felt a lot like a slightly juiced standard. Uh, except when I played against Mono Green, where it felt like they were playing a different format from me. That that's that tends to be my issue. Either I'm facing like superior card quality in Ragdos, or I'm just playing a different format when I play against Mono Green. Right. I don't know. I've been playing Pioneer since its inception, off and on, and I've I've always found some amount of enjoyment, except for when it was in Combo Winter. So. And then David, you're you're the the biggest Pioneer player. How how does this measure up to you? Because I feel like you actually have a very good read on the health of the format. Yeah, I think what happened is like when people decide they were going to play Pioneer, the way that people play a format is they just jam the same deck over and over again. So for some reason, Pioneer has not attracted like any brewers or very few brewers. And there's only like a hand. I could probably name them by name, like the six people that even try new decks, like the red green deck you're talking about. So the uh, streamer Islands goes me. Tweak, 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 got that Atarka deck ready to roll. He had a great tournament. Everyone copied the list, basically 75. And then I forget the the gentleman we, we or him or her, uh, who 5-0'd and then had a reasonable finish with the like four boat red green mid-range. And then just everybody played it like almost exactly the same 75. And I had the same experience where I played it like three times in a league. So yeah, I don't know if people are just like are hungry to brew in the format. And they're just like waiting for people to show them the way, and there's just like less people doing it in Pioneer. So there's Less for them to copy, but the default way that people like experience this format is they just play red, black, or play mono green, or play like spirits if they're a tempo player. And it's like they just jam that same deck over and over and over again. And I think if you're going to play the same deck over and over again, I don't think Pioneer's depth of play is as good as something like Modern. Because there are people, right, who play like Titan over and over again, or play, you know, whatever, blue, red, blue moon, right? There's blue moon players. There's uh, Ice Nine, you know, is out there playing. <laughs> trying to kill people's lands. Ice Nine being Ice Nine. Yeah, he's, he's out there trying to kill lands. Yeah, yeah. But my point is that the if if your goal is to just jam the same seventy five over and over again, like for hours at a time, which for somehow like that's how people like to play Magic. Which fine, I'm not here to yuck anybody else's yum. 
then I think that Pioneer isn't that fun because I don't think the depth of play is as good. But I think there's a lot more room to try stuff because I think the power level uh, of the mid-range deck is not actually overwhelming. I just think like red-black is there to be beaten if you wanted to. Now, can you beat it and beat the other extremes of the format is the is the unanswered question. Right. You have to theoretically you have to beat that and mono green and lotus field. But lotus field is way way on the down. Yeah, I think at this point people should just like abandon the like control combo, just let them beat you in game one, and maybe you don't even have a plan for it in sideboard, and just try to beat mono green and, and Rakdos. The funny thing about that is... Which is what that red-green deck does, by the way. It beats both of them. Right, and the funny thing about that is I think the same thing happens in in Modern is that there are those matchups where people are like, well, I just have to dodge it because I'm a dog. Um, but because there aren't as many known decks in Pioneer, people feel worse about it. Like, there's so many known decks in Modern. Like, someone's like, I'm going to register Burn. It's great against Four Color. And they're like, but what if you run into Dredge? That's a, that's a 20% match. And they're like, well, nobody plays that like that's fine pioneer doesn't have that depth of archetypes so far so like you don't feel you you feel worse when you run into the matchup you were trying to dodge because there's less of them yeah i think that tracks yeah what what has annoyed me maybe it's the the same thing when i start firing up popper leagues it's that paper rocky scissory feeling that maybe due to right. the power level of hate cards in modern that isn't like as prevalent, but sometimes you queue a deck that beats Rakdos and you face two mono green and that's like, okay, best I can do this league is a three two right now. Right. But at that point you just have to like hopefully you're you're learning some of the play patterns of your own brew or you know, that that is what it is. I I I've seen multiple players and streamers like get to a point where they're like, I ran into my bad matchup, cool. I'm just scooping out now. I, I don't need to try to play for the ten percent. It's funny because only like two decks in the format in Pioneer really have hate cards, right? Lotus and Red Blue. Like I actually think Blue Red is the best deck, Blue Red Phoenix. It just has is a deck that can be beaten by hate cards. Whereas there's not like the killer card you can play that beats, you know, Mono Green or, or beats Red Black. Mono Green is super hard to uh, to attack due to Karn just providing it so many different ways of attack. Right. And in both those cases, I would say if you want to beat those decks, you need a deck that conceptually lines up well against them. So as you've said, red-black, just two-for-one them three times. They don't kill you quickly. Uh, If you can two-for-one them a couple times and not die to Shouldred, you're probably fine. Yeah, well, we'll get to this with my deck, but man, I had one of those games where I did not draw any removal for Shouldred, and I went off with Broadback, and it felt really bad. (laughs) So, like, what are you going to do? Just not draw the cards? Like, I have to find a way to kill Shieldred, and the only way to find that is to draw cards. And it's like, all right, take two, take four, take eight. (laughs) I think in a larger way, right now, what we're dealing with is the fallout from them making uh, Pioneer the first uh, competitive format for these regional championships. Yeah. So everyone just wants to play, like, a known deck. Like, they don't like the format that much. They don't want to explore it. It's like, I just want to play whatever. Rock, paper, scissors. I, I like playing tempo. I like playing aggro, I like playing mid-range, I like playing, you know, Mana Elf on turn one. And they're just picking whichever those they like, and they're just jamming the best 75 that they get from Todd Anderson or right. uh, Dom Harvey or whatever. Yeah, and that is just a thing that happens. And pers- my, my personal belief is that Pioneer will bear this, and it will grow on to be a more popular, uh, more fun format once this RC is over. 
That's my prediction. That's my hope. I am a hopeful person. I'm a positive person. I like that there's more interest in Pioneer. I like that Pioneer is relevant. We just have to go through the downside of it being popular. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone's trying to win at it. And that means, you know, there's not a lot of incentive for uh, innovation. It's tough. Yeah. That makes some amount of sense. I mean, yeah, I think they should look at unbans. I don't I don't know that the uh, iteration ban, the Luris ban, uh, of course, I'm going to always throw in uh, Smoker's Copter. All these cards, I think, would make the format better, not worse. So, But I think we can just wait for those to happen after the yes, RC. No, and then... At this point, yeah, players have invested all this time. Let them, you know, yeah. take their hard-earned experience. But for the format, like, fine, maybe Expressive Iteration had to go or not. Like, Blue Red is not anywhere. Right. And Expressive Iteration also killed all the four-color decks. Phoenix did quite well in the last week, but yeah, previous to that definitely was uh, a bit of a... And it killed all the four-color decks. Like, you can't play Omnath decks without Expressive Iteration to keep you from flooding, because you need all these land drops for Omnath, and then you need Iteration so you don't flood. Yeah, and like, yeah. No one ever mentions that, like, that. okay, we just killed Omnath in the format, <laughs> so, which is fine. That's not the end of the world. Our mid-episode uh, recap of the format aside, uh, we had another... Uh, <laughs> No, and I'm glad you brought it up because I had been thinking about it. It was something I was thinking about earlier today. But we've got another Elder Dragon War deck to look at. So this is Naya deck with Brotback. And I know someone loves Brotback. So who actually played this? Oh, Brotback. I played this list. I had floated it as a possibility to Mord, who likes Brotback. I tooled around with my options. I felt obligated to play Four and Bridal Growth. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Both for Mana and Brotback Synergy. I mean, it's yeah. a three-color deck, and you don't want to play an infinite number of tap lands, right? So, Yeah. So, yeah, basically, to go along with my brought back, so the, th- the theory was we cast Elder Dragon War, we rummage slash loot through our deck, we find brought back. On the next turn, Elder Dragon War naturally goes to the graveyard, we make a 4-4 dragon, we sack an Unbridled Growth draw card, so now brought back is a two-mana 4-4. It's also quite good with Estika's Chariot, because the way that people fight Chariot, right, is they hold up their push, right? It kind of Fs with their mana development. Then when you go to attack with Chariot, you just leave Brotback up. And Brotbacking a Chariot is an incredibly uh, tempo-positive play. Yeah, 2 mana 4 4 in cuts while keeping your Chariot. Yeah, and then again, if you have any other permanent in play, you get that back as well. And then for Fable, again, Fable and Elder Dragon War. Fable's another card they tend to put in the graveyard in a way that you can um, play with Brotback. And then I just like had felt like I had to play a showdown, even though I didn't have that many creatures to pump, and it turned out to be terrible. I bored it out every time. Um, <laughs> and then I just played Elspeth's Sun's Nemesis, just because I had so much like looting. I wanted something I could play out of my graveyard, but that that wasn't a very good choice either. Yeah, it's so money intensive. It's hard to come to get her to come back unless you're playing super controlling games. Yeah, so that that was that was a poor choice as well. And then I was playing four Curry's briefcase, two Sylvan Caryatid, because you heard me list all these four drops. We kind of want to do the two four skip, and the briefcase in theory is quite good with Renegade Rallier and um, and Brotback itself. So I played this to a league. I went three two. I beat uh, Blue Red Phoenix, beat Atarka Gruel, and beat Red White Heroic, and lost quite handily to Mono Blue Spirits, of course. And lost to a blue-black mid-range that played Shieldred on turn four in both games. And I did not draw any of my removal spells for it, which was awesome. Uh, and yeah, literally in one of them, Shieldred did 14 damage to me. I drew for my turn, didn't have a way to kill it. Had a Fable on chapter two, so I got rid of two cards that didn't do anything. Took four. Had the brought back with two Unbridled Gross in play. <laughs> 
Like, sacked in a brow growth, try to find a removal spell. Okay, don't have one. Sack the other one. Like, what am I going to do? Not cast brought back? Like, I got to find a way to kill this. Uh, don't find anything. I had, like, a bunch of blockers. They just didn't attack. They're just like, okay, pass it back to you. <laughs> like, what are you going to do? <laughs> and uh, I was just, like, typing to the guy just laughing. Like, yep, I mean, sometimes you don't draw it. And he was just like, yeah, that was a cool 14 damage. <laughs> <laughs> That's super tough. So, yeah, um, the deck actually felt pretty good, especially, like, the main deck oozes were very powerful. I ended up playing, like, the three matches I won was where the sweeper part of Elder Dragon War was also very good. You know, it was at least worth a card, if not more, against Heroic. Uh, Spirits, of course, countered it for one mana in both games. Um, but Tarka Gruul and even Phoenix, uh, in the post-board games, they brought in Young Pyromancer. So, like, I just left them in, and it was it was awesome. And just, like, a 4-4 Dragon is actually awesome against Phoenix. Yeah, 4-4 tends to just help you stabilize the board. Sadly, it's a token yeah. and not a favorable flipping, so is always devastating, but... Yeah, so the deck has a bunch of ways to get rid of uh, uh, Thing in the Ice with Rending Volley... Uh, I pulled the trick that Moore described where you attack with your Fable token into their thing in the ice. Like, what are they going to do? Not block. <laughs> what are you going to do? Let it survive? This is a free, it's a free two damage. Like, Yeah, it completely. It worked more than I thought it would. But yeah, I mean, so the like brought back plus Elder Dragon war didn't happen that much. But I think in general, just not like getting too over the top with brought back because you can loot it away when it sucks. I don't think you have to be all in on the Unbridled Gross or whatever. So uh, I have a proposed update. The big card I want to add is Wandering Emperor. So it's another card that rewards you for your 2-4 to four skip. Wandering Emperor can control when it goes to the graveyard. Um, so it's very good with brought back. And it also, the uh, plus 1 plus 1 is very relevant for Chariot and the uh, Fable token to allow them to attack freely. Because um, the thing that actually happened a bunch was make a chariot, they do something, I make a dragon, let it go to the graveyard, don't brought back, there's no combo there. And then just like, chariot turns a four, like I attack for eight power and make another four four. And in these mid-range matchups or against aggro, you like stabilize so quick, you like now all of a sudden you have all these bodies to block and the next turn you're threatening eight damage in the air. <laughs> yeah. And then they still have to block your chariot, right? They have to trade like two cards probably for your chariot. So that interaction is, is more what I was was interested by. I think you can still keep the brought backs around. Like I said, because the deck loots so much, it, when it's bad, you just put it in your graveyard, and when it's good, you just keep it around. So, But yeah, the Wandering Emperor especially, just I don't know how I missed that. I was like looking for white removal spells. It's probably the best white removal spell in the format. So, I mean, Wandering Emperor was pretty good when I had brought back because it always dies. when it, Like, you play, it removes something, the opponent has a spark creature, kills it next turn, and if you just brought it back, and the creature just stopped to kill it, that's just perfect. Yeah, and again, on their end step, the you get another two activations at least out of the Wandering Emperor because it can trigger then. So Yeah, you can just minus it, kill it, get it back, minus it, get an instant board. That's just perfect. But yeah, considering I was playing a deck that was like 40 cards that no one else is playing, I was really excited that I went 3-2. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as at least a conceptual, like every card I played, the opponent just like paused and read. Like, what the hell's going on? Like, Elder Dragon War? And then like, Brought back? <laughs> I love when I was playing brought back in modern because I was playing three drops. Now the opponents were pretty likely to kill on sight, so I didn't ephemerate them like Eternal Witness or Recruiter. And, and if they kill it, I brought them back. And if they don't kill it, I ephemerate. Which always put a opponent in a what the hell do I do now situation. 
Yeah, I do think the one thing that to, to sort of follow up on Zach's point, the Elder Dragon War on raw power is, I think, not a good enough card. So you need to be getting a lot of like synergistic work out of it. So if it's making a dragon to, you know, copy for chariot, that's really good. You know, if you're getting a chance to brought back and turning brought back into, you know, two mana, four, four plus something. But, um, and then if the sweeper isn't relevant, I just don't think it's that powerful. The, the two damage to them sometimes adds up, I guess, but. Uh, I think your like proactive plan is just a little bit weaker than some of the other decks. So yeah. in theory, it should make your cyborg cards better, right? By helping you find them, which is which is why I think I won a lot of cyborg games. The Elder Dragon War, the the chip damage, let's call it from it, uh, it basically felt like it it didn't matter that often because if you were gonna out mid-range your opponent, it wasn't because of the damage. And then if you were against an aggro opponent, you're on the back foot anyway, so that damage isn't helping you. Um, if the two damage isn't wiping out a lot of their creatures, the the whole card just felt very mopey. Yeah, it just sometimes came down to the fact that, like, you know, you'd attack with your two twos, they'd feel like they had to block. Right. Then you'd, like, have a trade right. plus do two to them, and then you'd, like, get in for a dragon. All of a sudden, it's like next turn you're threatening lethal with a dragon. Or if they're playing bad cards that have two toughness, like the Black White Zombies <laughs> deck, I just smoked them two games in a row because I was like, here's my sweeper. <laughs> they're like, oh. Wow, main deck sweeper. I, I didn't plan for this contingency. It's like, yeah, good for you. It is nice that you have the choice, though, right? Like, it came up a lot. Like, do I want to play defensive here or aggressive? Like, I had so many choices on every turn. Like, do I want to attack? Do I want to play chariot now with elder dragon in hand? So I'm going to copy the dragon. Or do I want to play the dragon out first because I want to do two damage mm. and I don't want to damage my cat? So you had to, like, always decide, like, who's the beatdown. Yeah. So I like that part of it. There's a ton of game to it. It's also really good against opponents' fables. Uh, like if they fable on three and you play that and kill their fable token, you're so far ahead of them. I would say there was some very frustrating sequencing, uh, that happened in the version that I was playing in that Riel being a three drop fable, being a three drop and elder dragon war being a four drop was really frustrating sometimes. Uh, cause you can't play either of those cards on chapter one and then play the Riel to get the discard. Yeah. You have to right. play her first. And that was yep. really, really medium. Um, so if Riel was a two drop with lower toughness or there's, there's so many ways that that could be solved, but that fundamentally was a big problem. It was just very clunky. Yeah. Yeah. And you just have three cards, right. That don't do that much. The turn they come into play, like even fable, which is, you know, a fine car, but like make it two, two is bad against aggro. Yeah. Fable (laughs) is not a particularly (laughs) tempo positive card, but it's super annoying to deal with. Right. Right. So yeah, I guess the takeaway is like Elder Dragon War is close, but maybe not good enough. I think you have to have a bunch of synergy pieces with it. And the point is at that point, maybe there's just better cards to be played. Right. Yeah, if the sweeper was more relevant, uh, then I think it would be a better card. If it did three damage, it would be in an entirely different world, but it doesn't. So I don't don't know if that's ever going to be a thing. Yeah, we're going to move on from that, but still into Pioneer. Zach, any of the 1 million Gruul decks you face, was it playing Blast? Blast? Which Blast? Shrapnel Blast? Shrapnel? I didn't run into any of the artifact versions that were playing Shrapnel Blast, and I assume Experimental Synthesizer. Yeah, it got a 5-0 like three hours ago by Hamuda. Mm, no, I, I, oh, so that'll be next yeah, week. Right? That'll be next That's week. It's going to be the Vogue tomorrow. Um, yeah, so expect to see a lot of this. In so this is likely going to get posted by tomorrow, Tuesday. When you hear this, get ready for a lot 
of Rabbit Battery, Bold Mat Couriers, Shinshar Brutes, Sharpnet Blast, Rakdos. I did play against one that was playing Rabbit Battery, though, so it might have been in there and they just didn't, didn't, didn't draw it, didn't show it. So the argument was, whenever I have creatures, I win, regardless of how bad they are. So they're just playing Shinshar Brute, Bold Mat Courier, Epicure, and Rabbit Battery. Yeah, if you're not familiar enough with the format, just know that there are at least... I guess this makes a fourth distinct variation of red-green aggro decks. There's one that's very low to the ground with the Targus Command. There's one that's very chonky with Sky Sovereigns. And then there's like yeah. two two middle-of-the-road ones. One with Shrapnel Blast. Mord, is that, is that deck playing the two-mana artifact that gets a plus one, plus one whenever you play an artifact? No. It's four Bushwhacker, four Atargas, four Emissary. Oh, it's, an Atar- it's, a, it's a Bushwhacker deck. Yeah, know. it's a Wack deck with 16 one-drops that are also artifacts. Hmm. Because I was liking the idea of maybe playing like a bunch of those cheap red artifacts and then the the new card, the two and two red, and it lets you play the automaton. Like, so you play like whatever, Rabbit Battery on one, Automaton on two, a couple artifacts on three or whatever. But then I was thinking you could play the two, two red, the four, four first strike that lets you play a red spell for, uh, you can pay Phyrexian mana functionally. And then you do a damage when it comes into play. Oh, 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 the, uh, yeah. Hold on. I got it. That cycle. Yeah, whatever it's called. Like, that seems cool with all these cheap artifacts. And then you could also play, like, uh, Dan's favorite card, the four-man enchantment. Defiler of Instinct. Defiler of Instinct. Yeah. The Defilers. Then you could play the four-man enchantment that lets you play off the top of your deck. Experimental Frenzy. <laughs> so then you'd have all these cheap red cards. You're pumping your uh, your uh, two-man artifact with all these cheap cards. And then, yeah, you probably play, like, some Mono Shrapnel Blast. But maybe the it's just less work to just... But like that's 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 an idea. Defiler Atarka, of Instinct. Yeah, but Defiler of Instinct plus uh plus experimental frenzy plus uh all these cheap red aggro cards. Like there there's I mean there's an infinite number of them. You can play Monastery Suspear, you can play Kumano Faces Kakazan, you can play the experimental synthesizer, you can play the rabbit battery, and just really tear through your deck that way. Uh and the synthesizer in theory no, no, it doesn't interact with Experimental Frenzy in any way. But they're both experimental, so at least you got a theme going. No, it doesn't interact with Experimental Frenzy, though. If you can play the top card of your deck, you will. And if you can't... Oh, I guess you activate it for three? Yeah, well... I mean... Yeah, you, you so you can clear it, is my point. Or you can Shrapnel Blast it. Yeah, you can. You can. You can. Yeah, that's not... I mean, that's not nothing. And if Defiler... I mean, you have a, if you have a Defiler in play and the next top card is... Uh, only cost a single red, then you're you're ripping. Yeah, and what defiler is what a damage to your opponent every time you do you cast. Whenever you cast a red permanent spell, it deals one damage to any target. So uh, certain oh. matchups, that's going to be gross. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's something. Yeah. I don't know. I think defiler is like borderline playable. Four mana, four four first strike. I mean, it certainly goes into the red zone against most of the things in the format that I saw. Yeah. yeah. And if you have the if you have that trigger, if they have a love struck beast, say you can play a red permanent before combat, ping it for one, and then swing. And it's like, are you going to block? Because I will first strike kill your love struck beast. So it also like blocks chariot very easily, yep. right? Like it it just stops lots of stuff. If you have instant source of damage, it blocks, or it, it just straight up kills um, Cletus. Et cetera, yep, et it's got a great type line, Phyrexian Kavu. it's got it all come on come on all right so we've got some more sweet decks to address here so uh what what would you call it's grixis pact looks to be yeah so i love a demand i love a demonic pact deck like 
nobody's business. T talk us through this, because this looks glorious. So, yeah, uh, Mord was joking, but he was also accurate when uh, <laughs> he was talking about how I loved uh, Sulkinar and would want to make a bunch of Grixis medium decks with it, which is true. I've not wasted too much of the podcast time. But the cool thing about Sulkinar is it has the same strengths and weaknesses as Demonic Pact, where it just allows you to go over the top of other mid-range decks. And then the cards that reward you for stopping Pact also reward you for stopping Sulkinar. So it's your Pact 5 through 8? <laughs> yeah, it's like a lower, lower ceiling, higher floor Demonic yeah. Pact. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Because a lot of times they can't let it just cycle through, right? You play it as a... a like a functionally like a flame tongue cobble you just play it it kills their whatever they're their flip fable and now they have to kill it right so for those who haven't recently read Sulkinar the tainted uh two blue black red so five mana value at the beginning of your oh, it's a five five at the beginning of your end step choose one that hasn't been chosen draw a card each opponent gain, loses two life and you gain two life. Deals three damage to up to one other target creature or planeswalker. And then the final one, you exile it and then it returns to the battlefield under an opponent's control. So you're talking about the third mode there, the Flame Tongue Kavu mode. Yeah. So you know, at worst, it's just a card that comes into play, like kills a creature, right? Or gains two mm -hmm. life. You know, it's, a, it's a basically a board stabilizer. And then it's not a card they can just ignore. Like it attacks for five next turn and draws a card or whatever. They're incentivized to kill it. So it functions as like a five mana five five with a relatively powerful coming to play ability the thing that i like about this deck is we're, we're all in on packs we have four packs and then we're playing four release to the wind to make pack better just as a value card but then four release to the wind means we can play for valky so you kind of have your like also available nut draw to go thoughtsies valky release to the wind um because lots of decks the decks that are not removal heavy like mono green actually struggles with that line against them. Like you thought sees on one, they, whatever, you take their elf. Then you play um, Valky, you take their two drop creature, and then you, whatever, do two to them. And then you all of a sudden have this Planeswalker in play that just dominates their board. So you have like all these like soft combinations. And the card that was really made me excited to play this was when we were talking about Urtai. I was saying, I think this card is just good enough to play on flat rate. I really like it. Yeah, me too. I, I really, yeah, I, I, really I, I cannot uh, cannot speak enough about how well you articulated the value of Airtie and uh, to totally had me won over on a card that I was otherwise a little bit soft on. So Airtie can counter your own triggers. Like if you have Demonic Pact in play and you don't have anything else, you can choose the lose the game trigger first and then just Urtai it to draw a card <laughs> and then you still get the rest of your triggers. You can do it right away with Sulkinar as well. Um, and then I've just been impressed with Urtai in general. Like, once you have Urtai in play, now Release to the Wind is a three mana, like, counterspell and or uh, destroy a creature, which came up in uh, various other shells I tried. You're just, like, if you're way ahead, like, you're just so safe. What I think is great about Solkanar is that fact it triggers on end step. That's what makes it go from really bad to actually a playable card. Because the downside of the Modic Pact is how untempo it is. While Solkanar is, like, a big Kabu. In the worst case scenario, like on tempo game, on a tempo game or like against an aggressive deck. So yeah, I'm not all in on like combo combo. I just have the one harmless offering and then I have one cruelty of Gix, which again is a card that's very good with release of the wind. You can get all the way to the last thing, then bounce it in response to the third trigger being put on if you want to do all that stuff. So you can tutor for your uh, whatever piece. Also, uh, I have 
For Corpse Appraiser, this is another card that's hopefully helping us not like have release just stuck in our hand with no targets. So Exile and Graveyards can be relevant. Corpse Appraiser is just a reasonable body. And then because it's like card selection, it helps you find the parts of the cards you want, right? You don't want to draw a bunch of demonic packs and no way to blink them. You don't want to draw all these blinks and not demonic packs. And then you just get to play a ton of premium interaction because you're playing Grixis Colors. So I, I want to talk about the elephant in the room, the most beautiful thing in this deck, which is the random beautiful one-off Wasteland Strangler on the side. <laughs> I love it with Release to the Wind. I'm going to be the first to say that. It's great with Release to the Wind. It's great with Valky. And then Corpse Appraiser also exiles. Oh, right. So you have a ton of exile effects. And then if you're bringing in uh, a Kalidus, that can be a card that exiles. And then if you already had a card randomly exiled, it itself can be a target for Release to the Wind, right? It's just like a free minus three, minus three. Yeah. So I think it's just, especially in like white matchups where they're not going to have a ton of removal after board because you don't have very many creatures. It's it's just going to be money. Like Valky, turn two, take whatever. They're Thalia. Yeah, just try It's amazing. Yeah. Then you Strangler... And then now you've got a Valkyrie in play that you can trade. So you're, you're like two car, two different cards, two for one on turn two and turn three. I, I just think like Mono White cannot beat that. That actually seems like a super great way to beat Mono White. While having the, the T-Valt plan against decks like Rakdos, that's super interesting. Have you ever played a four, four or five color Yorion control deck? I think, I know it's like really not, by, not up your alley, but it plays a place at a third time main deck. I've not, I've not played it against it or or played it myself. I mean, I'm aware of the deck, but... Yeah, same here. I have never seen it, and I should run it sometime. Sorry, this is a deck in Pioneer existing right now? Yeah. Huh, okay. Omnath, like, a stupid amount of Triumphs. Omnath, Binding, Ertai. <laughs> binding, yeah. Alongside... I don't know who was playing it. Let me try to find it as we speak. But it wasn't a Niv deck, right? No, 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 right? it was like an Yorion big deck. But this is yeah. just like the nightmare scenario that people envisioned when they knew the Triumph uh, cycle was getting completed. The thing is, the Triumph cycle in Pioneer is like is how they are how they intended it to be played, where the deck is super clunky, right? Like, no, no, I, I totally get it. It's just like mono green, like roast this deck, like how that it's like tap land. <laughs> I'm playing like a five power creature on turn three, and you're like. Playing your third tap land, like, uh, carry added, pass, I die, I don't know what's going on. But you have access to Leyline Binding. Isn't that the only thing that anyone would ever need to survive in any format? I mean, that's the whole, people are really in on Binding, is the uh, cure-all. I mean, I think it is a very good card. It's just, it's a removal card, which, you know, if your opponent vomits, like, at multiple threats onto the battlefield, that, that, I think I have a picture in this... Uh, in this the the show notes for today but what mono green can put into play in this format by like turn four is I mean it's just disgusting I, I loved playing yeah. that deck when I did um, it's very very popular now so I would be terrified of the mirrors but <laughs> so the other day I would, in the trios event that we were talking about guys so for anyone doesn't know we, we won a trios event with some friends on Friday on Saturday I think and I was playing Popper, but a friend was playing Pioneer. He was playing Asodius. And an opponent on turn three comboed before milling himself. Right. Turn three, draw your whole deck. He played a four, the full playset of Storm the Festival, 
all the Cavaliers and then just comboed out eventually. Which was just insane to see. Yeah, it's it's shocking. Th- this mono green deck is so much more terrifying than the version that I was playing two, three years ago. Are you talking about it like if it was creativity? Yeah, kind of. Like, it's just... I mean, but in in a very different way. I, I think creativity has gone down in power, but up in viability. Uh, whereas mono green has just gone up in power by a disgusting amount. But anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. No. This is kind of like a, an insane realization. Is there a reason the Pioneers control decks don't play Kahira? Is it just me? I just realized this. I should have noticed this before. I, I guess there's more that there's a reason for them not to, because they tend to be 60-card decks and they want their sideboard slots, and the act- like a 3-2 companion is just so pointless, right? Well, I think the other reason is a lot of times they have creatures in their sideboard, so like yeah. the, the control mirror breaker is the 7-8 uncounterable or whatever, yeah. and that's probably better than Kihira. Hullbreaker. Yeah. It just seems so... Like, I just realized it's literally free. When I sh- Like, I was looking at Eglis and an expert control that got 7th in the last challenge was actually playing Kahira, and I just noticed, wow, nobody fucking plays Kahira. But... The other thing is, like, game 1, is Kahira even good? Like, I have Bonecrusher Giant with no targets. Oh, you spent 6 mana to play a 3-2? Like, alright, stomp. My turn? And then you can't... You can't pitch it to a Solitude. You don't have it. So... Uh, of course. There's no, I don't. I just don't think there's a point. And it doesn't pump solitude, right? I, I just don't think there's a point. Like this is this is. Remember when Burn wasn't playing Luris, and then finally they did. But like they held out for a long time because they're like, well, most of the games where you try to use a Luris, it doesn't matter, and I'd rather have the sideboard slot. In this case, I think it's a, an accurate version of that. But I could just be feeding into the narrative that they were feeding into, which is like, oh no, we don't we don't need it. That sideboard slot is worth more. It's like no. No, it's companion's not. <laughs> always better. I'm just surprised there's not more of a debate because when it happened with Lurus, it was like a pretty open, wide like conversation. Like foreign players weren't doing it, and then here I never even noticed they weren't. Yeah, but there's less uh, passion and association with people about archetypes in Pioneer so far. Yeah. Um. So give it a few years, and you might have that kind of loyalty that people have to their archetype. <laughs> Good for thought, though. Good for thought. So, with that good for thought, we have a final beautiful deck. I am so excited for a deck that registers Archangel of Wrath. Uh, so, once again, <laughs> I believe this was designed by David uh, to be what might be the most impressive Mardu mid-range deck I've I've seen in a long time. To exploit Kalia, Zenith Seeker. We went from Grixis Medium all the way to Mardu Medium. Yeah, which might be the most medium of medium, because usually people don't even try it. The mediumest of them all. For those who don't remember Kalia Zenith Seeker, uh, this is red, white, black for a legendary creature human cleric. Uh, I don't know how she's not a demon or angel, if you look at the art, but whatever. She has flying and vigilance. When she enters the battlefield, look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal an angel, demon, or dragon from among them and put them into your hand. And the rest go on the bottom in a random order. Well, it's it's and or, not or. So, wait, so you can put one of each? Yeah, so that's why specifically I'm not just playing a shit ton of angels. Oh. So she she's going to draw on average in this deck like 1.22 cards or something every time she comes into play. Okay, definitely worth knowing. Thank you for... Uh, Kalia draws you three changelings in the Magda deck. Got it, got it, got it. <laughs> that's also important. Sure, sure. <laughs> 
Or I can draw you an Orvar. Yes. Yep. So, that said, the reason that this deck was brewed, I believe, is the release of multiple quote-unquote playable angels in the newest set. Uh, those that you put in this deck are Sarah Paragon and one copy of Archangel of Wrath. Is that correct? Yeah, so the, the card that really intrigued me actually was Giada. Uh, I think everyone knows that she's quite good in the standard Angels deck. She's just a super powerful card. And the, the thing that made me really excited about her is before we were playing, like the, the old standard deck was playing Bishop of Wings and various like Bant versions have played like Angels with Bishop of Wings. Bishop of Wings is a terrible card. Bishop of Wings is just absolute garbage. I'm so excited not to play it. It makes your mana terrible because it's white-white, so you can't really play three colors easily. So now we have Giada, who A, helps ramp us. So the fact that we have lots of clunkier angels isn't as bad because we have a, ma a mana, you know, whatever. A Sylvan carry added on two. Uh, a mana drop with upside. Yeah, exactly. It's also like vigilant, right? Like, and flies. Yeah, yeah. So the problem was always you, you're playing this three drop and you're quote unquote drawing cards with her, your Kalia. But like so many of these cards are expensive, right? Like how many four and five drops can you play? But now we finally have... Giada to help us like smooth out our curve. She helps all our low hits. And I didn't realize this until recently, Blade of the Oni is a demon. So it's not like any great shakes, like a two mana three one. But it's not terrible. And it just gives you like double spell turns. Like you could play Kalia, hit Giada and Blade, play them both on the next turn. Right? So yeah, it's not hard for your opponent to kill Giada, but you have this blade. And then Sarah Paragon is a card I thought was going to be way too slow, but it actually sees a bunch of play in Pioneer. Sarah Paragon has been great in Pioneer. Lurus at home. Yeah, you alluded to it, Zach. There's all these, like, Urian, white splashing red, white splashing black. They're all playing Sarah Paragon in some number. So there, there's just time for her. And our deck is just full of stuff to get back. So, like, you can have Kalia. She finds Sarah Paragon, right? They have to kill your Kalia. It's a 3-3 Vigilant for three. It blocks their attacks. You play Sarah Paragon. If that doesn't die, just gets back Kalia. She might find another Sarah Paragon. I'm playing a couple Fable Passages just to give us cheap stuff again for Paragon to get back. It also turns on push. Uh, Vanishing Verse is the best two-mana removal spell in the format. Uh, if it's not, it's, it's Abrupt Decay, but it's much better than Dreadbore, which a lot of people play. What about Eliminate? I think Eliminate is close. I love that it kills Kiora. It's just like... That's what tends to like really sell me sometimes. Sure, but it, it, it struggles again. The fact that like people are now like ramping up to four drops, like the fact that it can't hit Chariot is really tough. Oh, yeah. Like when they crew up Chariot and you're sitting at two eliminates, which just happened to me the other day, I was like, fuck, <laughs> maybe one of these should be power word kill or something. You know what I mean? Like you can't play multiple eliminates, I think. You can play like one. I will say as a meta commentary... Uh, there is something wonderful about Pioneer's removal, which feels very much like a standard format in that you really have to pick and choose what you're able yes. to deal with, and you have to have a good read on the meta to do that. And for those who are like not initiated well in the format, that's a serious barrier. I get that it feels very different, but it's not necessarily a bad thing not to have access to Swords to Plowshares. I don't care about not having answers to source to plowshares. I, I really like the fact you have to select your removal in the same way you had to select your counters in modern pre-counter spell. Even after you select it, it just feels underpowered when compared to the threats. Well, sure. And, and then also, it feels really awful when you run into the wrong deck and you're like, well, I picked the right cards for the decks I thought I'd play yeah. and then didn't. Right. But anyway. So yeah, like you, you have Eliminate for Mana Elf and Akira. You don't but you eliminate is bad against mana elf into uh you know Karn. 
<laughs> yeah, or or or, uh, or a chariot, right? So, yeah. So the thing I want to highlight is I think Blade of Oni is actually like the card that like is kind of the secret sauce here as another cheap spell. I have Ao the Dawn Sky in here, but I actually think that's wrong. I think you should play Nadar instead, which I didn't realize is like another cheap dragon, another card you can buy back with Sarah Paragon. It is whatever kind of a source of life <laughs> or whatever all life. Just to lower your curve, because you have all these card advantage spells, and you just want to be yeah. able to like deploy all your spells. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen a. I don't think I have ever seen anybody venture into the dungeon either in modern or in pioneer, like in a game I have played. Yeah, I don't think the card is like powerful enough on rate, but I think if you're going to play Kalia, you want your hits to be cheaper on average. And AO is just not powerful enough. Yeah. And the good dragons are all red. And this deck is especially has a really, really light red splash. The only red card main deck is Kalia. So you, you, your mana gets to be very good if you don't get too cute with the red stuff. And I think keeping your mana good is worth playing a slightly worse dragon. Okay, that makes sense. You got me thinking about Marvel dragons that are cheap. So yeah, Dan loves Kalia. He's always itching to play a list like this. And when um, Archangel of Wrath was spoiled, he's like, oh man, it's like Mardu Angels. We can play Kalia. So like, is Archangel of Wrath actually very good? I don't think it is, but it's probably fine. It's like a one of that you, you know, will, will likely hit over the course of like playing a couple of Kalias. But the, the real cards are, are Giada and Sarah Paragon. I think they really like juice up Kalia to the point where it's like finding you like real cards that the, your opponent has to answer. Well, and there's just something satisfying about playing this many, like, three-drop creatures with flying and, like, reasonable stats that I think will line up okay against, say, the green-red deck or mono-blue spirits or just some of the stuff in the format with backed up by Fatal Push and Thoughtseize. Like, it's just, like, a very quaint way to try to beat down. Well, yeah, you're a mid-range deck where all your creatures, like, functionally draw cards. And then the other one, the ones that don't gain a bunch of life. So you're like, in theory, reasonably well set up for the mid range and you're reasonably well set up against aggro. The question is always just, uh, what are you going to do against the control decks? And, and as we talked about, I think you just punt those, punt those out of here. Is Moonvale Regent insane? What is Moonvale Regent? For mana 4-4, whenever you cast a spell, um, you can discard your hand and draw a card for each of that colors. When it dies, you deal 6 damage to any target where X is the number of colors you have among your permanents. No, I think that's reasonable. I just, I wouldn't play a five spell mana dragon. It's, it's just mana. one red, so it's like pretty, no, that's what I'm saying. I, I, it's better than AO because it's four mana. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, Moonvale region is quite, quite the card. That that definitely could be an okay fit here. Imagine imagine playing Kalia with that in play. I mean, that's... Just play opportunistic dragon in the sideboard. <laughs> Eldrain All-Star Draft Peak. Whenever it enters a battlefield, gain control of a human or artifact that opponents control as long as it remains on the battlefield. <laughs> Perfect. I, I remember drafting this card, but I didn't remember it was during Eldrain. Hold on. Can we just talk about how relevant the text is in the metagame? Meta Choose target human or artifact. Yeah, exactly. It was like shockingly, shockingly yeah, on like, point. It's like really on point. Every deck plays either humans or artifacts. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, can't it's go a, wrong. It's a reasonable sideboard card. Let's call it that. Uh, I will say, in terms of sideboard cards, I got demolished by the Acroan War uh, recently. So that no. the, some of the red green decks, that thing is a beating because then they give the creature haste with their reckless storm chaser. Fuck. 
<laughs> Reckless Storm Chaser officially, by the way, for any judges listening, should replace Battle Rattle Shaman as the uh, card that you talk about that combat shortcut nonsense with. Yep, yep. Just comes up every time. The thing was, we used to have to like go deep into the draft chaff to try to find a creature that had a at the beginning of combat trigger, and now we don't. Now there's a constructed format that has a very reasonable card. And it comes up very precisely because you go to the start of combat, it gives itself, makes itself three, and that's exactly what it takes to crew the boat. Right. So like you have to be very precise about when all this stuff is happening. You have to have your stop set. You gotta have your stop yeah. set. So like if you have all your stop set on Magic Online, you, you see how it happens. You see their creature become three power, they tap their power, their thing, crew up a six power, and then now you're declaring attackers, it all makes sense. But in real life, you can imagine each of those uh, kind of half triggers going horribly wrong. Anyone who is a paper player, if there are any paper players who somehow have not played Magic Online and listened to this, as awful as Magic Online is to learn, it is one of the greatest, most accurate descriptions of how to play Magic. And it is ruthless at like just being like, oh, you didn't do it exactly correctly? Well, tough shit. <laughs> I, I hope you learn at some point how the game works because uh, there's no gray areas here. We, you can't fudge anything. If you don't know how your combat deck kills someone, you're in trouble. Yeah. Really makes you appreciate the uh, the crunchy details. Anywho, so, uh, yeah. H- how did you feel about the deck overall? I think it's still untested, right? Or... Yeah, I've not I've not oh, actually played okay. any leagues with it. I, I just built I just built this because Dan loves Kalia, and I actually think it's gonna be very, very good against red okay. black. Um you can tell I'm worried about <laughs> yeah. mono green because I have three three noxious grass and two vanishing verses in the yeah, sideboard. Yeah, yeah. Um but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. Uh well I can't wait to hear Dan's update that is exactly as you described that oh I got a three yeah. two, but uh, I just barely lost one of them. Could have been, been a five oh. It could have been a five oh I just I had looks at I had looks at a card to yeah, win. Yeah. I just had to you know, Dan loves an Archangel of Wrath style card. God. Like it gains life, it's a stabilizing. And I have to say I'm the same way. Uh, I still have a foil no, I still have a non foil signed copy of Exalted Angel in my binder. Um, for for those who don't know what Exalted Angel is, don't look it up because it's an embarrassing power level card but I love that card so much I'm going to get a, uh, my next tattoo is going to be an homage to that card just because for me it's the art is so iconic, the memories of playing Magic at that age is so iconic. I have never read this card and now I'm glad I I did Right (laughs) Oh, well (laughs) For he hated so much he got disconnected from this uh, oh, pure rage. But so definitely don't look up Exalted Angel. You'll abandon. You'll, you'll abandon the podcast. <laughs> Argentina might have just been bombed into the uh, sea, as far as we know. All right. Well, we got uh, one more deck to talk about, um, even though we'll have no results for it. So. <laughs> Our uh, exalted angel is so so medium that it did lo- it destroyed your internet connection there, Mord. <laughs> it just took me out. Like it yeah. just took me out of the podcast. But let me tell you about something that's not e- medium. It's hard casting Orvar the All Form. So Dave, you got one more sweet pioneer deck. Obviously, this is a list with no results, but it's got a glory banger or two in there uh, and some <laughs> goblin dark dwellers. So tell me about Orvar copies. Sell me on the bad ideas you are behind. So the first thing that struck me was if people are playing boat again, then Glorybringers must be very good. 
I had multiple games where I was sitting there going, God, I hope they don't play Glorybringer, because if they do, I'm totally I'm yeah. fucked if they play Glorybringer. So if Glorybringer's pretty good, you kind of want to play Kiora. And if you want to play Kiora, can I interest you in Vesuvan Duplomancy plus Goblin Dark Dweller? So just so people understand, Vesuvan Duplomancy says whenever you target a creature you control or an artifact you control with a spell, copy it. So the plan of this deck is, okay, the, that's a cool ability, but how can you ever catch up after taking turn four off? You do it by casting Goblin Dark Dwellers, which targets, let's say you cast a Strangle on turn one, you cast a Is It Charm on turn two, you cast a, a Braid on turn three, and you cast Vesuvian Duplomancy and they, whatever, play a Chariot. You play Goblin Dark Dwellers, target it with all of those spells, and then you just copy it each time. And the new Goblin Dark Dwellers select a new card from your graveyard and targets itself again. So you basically, if you have Vesuvian Duplomancy in your graveyard, you get a Goblin Dark Dwellers for each targeting spell you have in your graveyard, because none of them kill it. None right. of them kill it. Spike Field right. Hazard, Strangle. And then on your last spell, you can decide if it's better to have another Goblin Dark Dwellers or to, you know, cast it on your opponent's, you know, spell. Let, like, Fading Hope might be your last yeah. spell, and like Zach was talking about, there's a big beefy green creature, so I'm going to blink your, uh, your whatever, your 4-4. Or your, or your uh, Lovestruck Beast. And so, yeah, then you're left with an army of, uh, you know, three or four, and they're all menace. So you're threatening, like, a near-lethal attack on your next turn. And if you have a Kiora in play, you drew a card for every Goblin Dark Dwellers that came into play. So I played a version of this before that was, like, a dragon version that played four Orvar, or three Orvar, because we didn't have Vesuvian Duplomancy, and only a couple Goblin Dark Dwellers. And then I was playing the uh, dragon that makes treasure... And um, Silmgar Scorn. Is that Goldspan Dragon? Yeah, Goldspan Dragon, exactly, yeah. And the Orbar turns were insane, but now you have Duplomancy, which is a way harder permanent to deal with, right? Even with all the nonsense that they've printed, it's still hard to blow up the Duplomancy, especially against Red Black or whatever. And then it just allows you to go way over the top of everybody else. So um, even just like you have a Glorybringer, you attack and uh, exert it, right? And kill your opponents, whatever, and then and kill our Karn. They normally don't kill their gl your glory bringer that turn, but if you have an instant spell, you like play duplomancy and then like strangle your glory bringer, get a glory bringer, right? Attack with it, do four damage, do four to them. So you you just have all these like high class permanents. You can also like target your fable to make another fable in response to their removal spell. I'm incredibly concerned about how much sense you're making. I, I I don't like how much <laughs> I, I played like a deck like this before to a three two like this was a real thing I did with Silmgar Scorn and all kinds of stuff. We have new cards added. Uh, Fading Hope is a is a cool card. A because as Zach pointed out, there's all these mono green cards everywhere. It's also really good with your own stuff. Um, Orvar itself is actually better than it normally would be because Liliana exists. So yeah, there, there's I think this deck is actually going to be pretty good. I actually really like it. As the, likely the only person that has hard cast Orvar multiple times in modern. It's just super fun when you start going off with it. The other day I went off with Gatshot, Archeomancer, and Orvar. <laughs> it was the mimiest thing I had done in a while. Just get seven Archeomancers on board. Yeah, so there's a variety. Like, you don't have to play for Bonecrusher Giant. You could play something else. Uh, uh, the, the deck is actually a really good Fable deck. Because you sometimes want to just put a bunch of cheap instants 
the target in your graveyard to to find your combo and you don't want your second third and fourth duplicacy um or maybe you do <laughs> but yeah so i think this deck is actually really really fun at least and i think just in general like you still have just normal draws right where you go like removal spell is it charm their or stomp their second play Kiora untap we have 12 one mana interactive spells so Kiora is actually like quite good just on the turn you player um and then you like play Glorybringer and untap it. Like that that's just a fine, like medium thing to do. We we're not doing any duplicacy magical Christmas land stuff there. Not at all. I just feel maybe the spell count should be a bit higher because even when you go like maybe you have like the turn four Besuvan into turn five Goblin that uh, I'm afraid maybe it's just like three creatures and that's not enough to guarantee the investment. Yeah, so I mean we could definitely I think you could cut bone crushers and play yeah. spells like in some of those slots. 15 feels a bit low and like just getting that number a little bit closer to 20 so that I, I feel guaranteed to have two or slash three, even th three is what you're aiming for. And two is an okay fail case. Cause that means you have 12, 12 power of dark dwellers in a fail case and 16 on your average. You guys are really poo pooing five mana sorcery. Make three, four, four menace creatures. You're like, ah, that's, I mean, it's no fable of the mirror breaker. For yeah, compared to what mono green does, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think that's not anywhere close to good enough. Well, I, we can interact with mono green. They can't interact with us. Right. You're, you're you're dismantling their plays as you go. So maybe I'm I'm not crediting that by enough. Like on honestly, two might be more than good enough. And I think we just have to put in the reps to find out. I definitely think this would have some legs against red black. And then the only thing to be concerned about is the post-board games where they attack your graveyard, but I'm sure we can figure out a way to play around that. And Cure might actually be really helpful in recovering through those kind of situations. So, this is an intriguing idea, and I really think that, I mean, I don't know this kind of deck at all. I, I don't know that 15 instance isn't more than enough. Yeah, and it's like, I have a glass... Pool Mimic there, that could be a spell, right? Instead, the one of the Bone Crushers could easily be like another Abrade. Uh, one of the Orvars could be something, because I don't think we actually want to... I don't think Orvar actually works that well with our combo, because it dies so easily. So so, so we've definitely got some fluid slots there, right? I completely adore the usage of, and I'm a huge fan of, Spikefield Hazard. I love that card so much. Oh, me too. It's great. And it has a ton of targets now, right? Like it kill it kills mana elf, so that's normally what you want your one mana spell to do anyway. It leaves your goblin dark dwellers in fine shape, <laughs> so it's harder for your opponent to kill. Um and then uh it also kills like Thalia, which is a common play in humans. It exiles like if you play mono black aggro, which I did the other day, I would have loved to have Spikefield Hazard in my deck. Yeah, big fan. The Exile Clause is so not irrelevant. Yeah. Sometimes you get a cat, like they gain the, like block gain the life, bring it back, and they don't have a, uh, they can't tap their oven. They already use their ovens, and you just get the Exile with the Hazard. Yeah. Oh, it feels so good. Spikefield is a really cool card. Like, even in Moderns, the other day I just got a Crocs with it, like they played Crocs, and before they could, like, before it goes to a graveyard, like, Spikefield. Just ping it. <laughs> just ping it, yep. get rid of it. The good old Udo treatment with the path. So yeah, those are three decks I'm going to try out uh, in the coming weeks before we uh, get into spoiler season. This is always kind of like a fun time for me where I have 
like kind of weird throwaway ideas. Uh, they're not really worth spending an entire week on, right? I don't think that anyone thinks that Vesuvian Duplomancy has like a bunch of different decks you can build, even in Pioneer. Um, but like, this is the time, right? To put all your cards on the table before we move on to the next new hotness. Yeah, I will do my best to find something in this uh, set to brew around, but I really have not had that much time to explore it. And the next one is coming up so soon uh, that I've only just gotten to enjoy things as they've affected the formats that I love. Yeah, I thought Braids was going to be better, but I've tried it a few in a few shells and it's been really bad. No, not really bad. Very mediocre minus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's in bad. She's just medium at best. But as I first read it, like, and I think that y'all did a pretty good job of summarizing the fact that it's like, well, it's a Punisher mechanic, which we know historically is awful. But maybe, I mean, some of the words on here seem like this will be a good one. And uh, maybe it isn't standard because I know mono black midrange was just taking over that format uh, writ large but not in any other format. I'm still going to futz around with it, but man, it's just like, the problem is like sacking blood or whatever, even when it's not a punisher mechanic, your opponent doesn't have artifacts. If you're not an aggressive deck, the two damage doesn't matter. So it's just like three mana, quote unquote, draw a card, but not really, because one of the reasons that, you know, your blood creating creature was good is that it made the blood in the first place. Right, exactly. So you're sacking things for very marginal non-value. So it's like, I was going to turn a land in the late game into a card. Now it's time to just getting the card now. So it's like, okay, well, that's a little better, but not that much better. I would say some of the cards that are great, but haven't been super impactful, and maybe it's just because I'm flipping through black, is Shadow Prophecy has found some small usage. Keep your eye on it, because it might be better at some point. And then uh, you mentioned specifically for Pioneer, Shieldred's Restoration is the first Zombify, right? But it's better than Zombify. It's the first four mana straight up reanimation spell that requires no cards in play, no creatures in play. That 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 that's what I mean. Like Zombify as in three and a black, yeah. bring back something. But then it yeah. also yeah. has yes. a potential kicker. Uh yeah. Yeah. If they didn't print Liliana, I would for sure have gone like two, three, getting back the three five that uh yeah, as lifelink and gets plus one plus oh every time you draw a card. But like the fact that Liliana is in the same set as that where it just doesn't win the game anymore against mm. mid range is like, all right, well that sucks. <laughs> and it's actually bad against Shieldred. <laughs> so it's like they pr printed two cards, just cold it. Right. Uh, I mean, and, and all the defilers have, I mean, really gross potential uh, just in that they allow you to trade life for mana, uh, obviously in a more limited way than some of the other ones, but also in a universal way. That's a little terrifying. One of those is going to be broken at some point. Or at least, like, in a deck that gets lucky in 5-0s right. and everyone's convinced right. it's good, and then they play it for a week and just get smoked and, like, oh, man, this is tough. That happens. Like, an egg reaches the sun for a week and then disappears into the abyss when everybody realized it was a lucky fluke. Yeah, I feel like this set is, like, a slightly better version of Capena, where there's, like, a bunch of great role players that you're going to forget are from this set. Like, the Goblin Lord and the Merfolk Lord. Uh... <laughs> okay, yeah, I agree. Right, you're just going to be like... Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Dominaria was that the was it the first set with the with the Mishra and Urza? It's like no, the one before that. It's like oh yeah, 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 yeah. That was a set, I guess. Capena was the one that was just miserable. That set was terrible. That was one of the worst sets they made. But but you will always remember it as being like oh that's when they put in those triumphs. <laughs> yeah, that's all you'll <laughs> so, remember. <laughs> yeah, that's, oh, they, yeah, yeah, the triumph set. 
That's when they fixed everything. I think the MU is going to be the binding set. Oh, you think so? Oh, I don't know. In modern, at I, least. I, 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 yeah, I, I don't know. I think the Triumphs are just so much more memorable than, like, yeah, I don't yeah. think I don't Maybe. think people are only going to remember Leyline Binding from this set. There's, there's, there's enough kind of medium to medium plus stuff, especially for specific archetypes. Also, Tiny Rind, before we end, the fact you're on Godpan and we still have companions and now people are playing Keruga just... Yeah, so I, I would like to go on record with another hot take. Uh, maybe it's hot, I don't know. Once Yorian got banned, so Yor- Luris and Yorian are banned in Modern. I think at this point they should just fully... I, I, they don't need to vilify anyone or admit fault, but just just ban all the companions uh, in every format and... Uh, or sorry, ban the companion rule, unban the cards. Just say, you know what? We made a huge mistake. Yes. Companion is not a mechanic that we should ever do again. It, it is problematic for a large number of reasons. Yeah. And the cards that are left are a mess. Uh, I was just looking at like decks where people are like, oh, I'm, you know what? I'm going to cut this one double pip card so I can play Gigantha because it's worth it. It's like that. Exactly. That has always offended me about companions. So here, here's the thing. Even even if there's no there's no historical precedent for banning like a mechanic, you can just, just do make... it. There was no pre- historical precedent for tweaking a mechanic. But that's my <laughs> point. So if you don't want to ban it, you can't delete it from the card. Just make the cost like a hundred right. mana instead right. of three, because you you've acknowledged you can do that. So all right, all right, it's a thousand mana yeah, to put this from double the cost of the companion to put into your hand. Right, right. No. It's like like when the the Seinfeld has the contest and they insist that Elaine has to go like ten to one. Yeah, <laughs> thirty mana, thirty, 30 mana. mana to put it in your hand. Thirty mana. So like we have Keruga now and we have Shiganta and we're gonna keep having companions and it's gonna either lead to the same issue or be non relevant. No, but K- Kahira is relevant. That's the thing that really bothers me. Yeah. Giganta is only relevant in fail cases. Kahira is relevant because every deck that's a Kahira deck is also a Solitude deck, and they knew it. They knew it when they made the card. So that is incredibly frustrating. Like, just that people can pay three mana to get the free card to pitch. It's just, it it just, nobody should have access to it now that the two constructed playable quote-unquote ones are gone. Just, just let it be gone. I know we lose Obosh. I love Obosh. But, you know, just, just let it rest. Just let it be. They fucked up. Only Lutri is legal. And that, we that'd just... be fine, too. Like, I mean, again, but banned as a companion should be a thing, or they should just, I don't know, wholesale nuke it. Nuke it to the ground. I agree, I agree. Just give me back Lurus at least as a playable card. I think Lurus would play as a playable card. Lurus and Urian do unique things that are interesting. Like, Lurus, Lurus would see play. Yeah, exactly. Lurus was so interesting in Enigmatic Incarnation. It was so interesting in yeah. Enigmatic Incarnation. Exactly. Like, I have said this in the past. A lot of Lurus decks didn't play Lurus in the main deck because they had it as a companion. But 100% they would have run it in the main deck. Right. Any sort of Ragdoss Sacrifice deck really wanted that sort of effect for so cheap. Serra Paragon is a bad Lurus. Yes. And it's seen play a lot in Pioneer in some Bruce in Modern. Right. Imagine what Lurus would do. The thing right. is, Synergistic deck with Lurus just run it as a companion. Right. You, you Literally, it excluded itself. So Exactly. Anyway, I think we've ranted enough about the end of this uh, set season. Do you all? Yeah, and pretty likely by the next time we're seeing, we're gonna be seeing each other. The spoilers might have begun. And if they haven't, we're going to uh, get to some work on uh, Joda, not the Archmage, the, the Unifier. Joda, the Unifier. Yeah, beat down Joda. And we're gonna hear 
a really specific line from Dan. I really hope Dan doesn't hear this episode and still says it. And he goes play Kalia, goes like three two, and tell us how he really barely <laughs> lost a close match of game two. This is a five zero deck. I just need a larger sample size. Exactly, exactly. I really hope he doesn't hear this and immediately goes Earl lost a really close game three. Worry, they just stop the query in the end. <laughs> That's a dream. It's locked in, man. There's nothing that can change this now. <laughs> and yeah, thanks so much, everybody, for joining. Zach, love to see you again. Miss you, buddy. David, always a pleasure, you know. David, it's the man behind every single Pioneer Brew and show, so at least give a clap to this man at your home alone. Just applaud the guy that gives us the Kalian X. And if you, if you want <laughs> to be a brewer... This format is wide open for more people to take part in it. Uh, you're going to have to take your licks, but uh, the reward is there for you to take. Exactly. Absolutely. All right, gentlemen, take care. Bye-bye, everybody, and have a nice night. Bye. Bye. Deck lists for this episode can be found at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And tune in next time as we celebrate 30 years of Magic the Gathering. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.